Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here. Um, At the beginning of this missions month, um, it's a privilege to be able to to be able to be here and to share with you guys um, just some things that God has been teaching me. I I wanted to start out by just thanking the, I guess, this church and the missions community um, for putting on this missions month. I I think it's really cool that once uh, once a month every year. Uh, we're able to just focus on missions and what God is doing around the world, uh, even what he's doing right here as well. But we're able to just, I hope that through this time, through this month, um, God's heart for the nation, nations can become a little bit more of our heart for the nations as well, um, would be my prayer for us. And, and not just people on the other sides of the earth, uh, that is important, but people right here in our communities as well. Uh, we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 1. So if you could just turn to that, and that way once we get there, we'll be able to uh, start right in. Uh, So as I sat down, as um, Pastor Tim asked if I wanted to to preach or share for for this sermon, or this uh, first Sunday of Missions Month, uh, I was sitting down, and I don't know if I'm like, if you guys are like me, but a lot of times, like, God is just teaching me so many different things uh, all at the same time in different areas of my life, and... So sometimes when I sit down and think, what do I want to share with my family at First Baptist? Um, I just have a flood of thoughts and trying to kind of boil those down to something that I really want to, to get across to you guys is sometimes difficult. But as I sat down and I, and I was thinking, you know, in light of missions, obviously this is missions month, so trying to put it all into perspective, I sat down and I was asking myself a few things. Um, and one of the first things I asked, I guess, is just why... Why do we do what we do? What is, what is so different about what we believe in comparison to what the world believes? What is it that we feel as believers we have to offer the world? What is different? I think a lot of times we, we have questions like that, and we don't really have the answers for them sometimes, and so I think a lot of times that's what keeps us silent when we could be sharing our faith. But what is it that we have that's different from what the world has or what the world offers? You know, and in all reality, a lot of times we look at the world around us and we see a lot of people that look pretty successful, successful people, attractive people, happy people. Everybody looks like they've got it all together and everybody's fine. I mean, not on Facebook or anything. Facebook, everybody, you know, bears, bears their soul to know. We see that. Everybody posts what's, what's good about their lives, right? It looks like they have everything. And then we go to other parts of the world where they actually have a lot of apparent physical needs, uh, a lot of poverty. But when we go to places like that, we look at places like that, anthropologists will actually tell us, well, actually, those people are very happy the way they are. They don't want to change. The, the best thing you can do for those people is just to leave them alone. Leave them alone in their utopia. That's, that's a whole nother, another thing we could talk about some other times. But basically, when we're told those things, it leaves us as believers saying, why would anybody want to listen to me? What is it that, that I have to offer, that we as believers have to offer the world? Well, I can tell you one thing. We can cross some things right off the list. It can't be money or fame or power or or health, or entertainment, or these things that the world is so good at throwing at us and and offering to us. It can't be those things because the world is so good at offering those things. 
So what is it? What does our faith offer us? What does it offer them? What is different in what we believe in comparison to what they believe? And honestly, I'm not going to say, okay, we got, there's one right answer, you know. This is a test. You're going to get the right answer. It's, no, I think there's, there's a lot of things about our Christian faith that set us apart. But I want to focus on one thing here. So to tell you a little story, I still remember when we went back, when we first moved into the village where we work. It was back in 2009. Um, we got there. And as we're kind of getting set up, living there in the village, their physical needs were very apparent. The people that we work with are, uh, they have a lot of physical needs. They don't have the things that we have over here. In fact, a lot of the things that we would say are necessities, they don't have. Um, Things like good medical treatment, um, schools, um, uh, along uh, medical treatment, schools, uh, as well as transportation. They don't have those things along with a lot of other luxuries that we, ex- that we have here, they don't have those things. And so their physical needs were very apparent when we first moved in. But some of the things that they were really needing and actually affecting them probably a whole lot more than the physical things couldn't be seen right on the surface. You couldn't see them just from when we first moved in. But those things slowly became more and more apparent as we were living with them. I still remember... It was about a year, year and a half after we had been living with them that one of their deep needs, as I would say, became apparent. I remember uh, there was a young man in the community, actually a, a, a friend of ours, probably 20 years old, and he died a, a pretty, uh, it seemed like a sudden death. He had been sick with tuberculosis and just got sick really quick and died. He was about 20 years old. And I remember going to the funeral of this young man you know, where we live, you guys have seen pictures, it's beautiful. It was a little village kind of on a, on a ridge that kind of overlooked the rest of the valley. Just a beautiful setting. But amongst the beauty, as we got closer, it was just amazing to see the, the, the grief and just utter despair that was going on there. I remember as we walked up and getting closer, you could hear the crying and the wailing. And then as we got closer, it's like, man, there's like screaming just screams of anguish and pain. And it's like, man, what's going on? And as you got closer, and as we finally got closer, maybe from here to the back of the auditorium, you could, you could see people just in their despair, in their grief, acting out and, you know, just beating on things, chopping at things with their machetes. We got a little bit closer, and we, and we got to where we could see the fire where they were cremating the body. And there was people sitting around the fire and they were taking rocks about the size of baseball and beating themselves in the head, beating their own chest, just trying to basically displace some of the grief that they were feeling into physical pain. I can't remember if it happened at this funeral or not, but many times they'll cut off their fingers in their grief. The mother of this young boy, this 20-year-old boy, was trying to throw herself onto the fire kill herself with her son. It, it was a scene of just utter chaos and despair. It's still imprinted on my mind. And I'm not normally a huge crier, but there were tears streaming down my face as I just like watched like, man, these people are living with absolutely no hope. They have no hope. 
And that's what I want to look at this morning. That's hope. It's an interesting word. According to Webster's Dictionary, the definition of hope is to desire with expectation of obtainment or fulfillment. So in other words, to desire something while expecting it to happen, which is kind of ironic in the world that we live in. How can you expect anything to happen in our world today? So where does that leave us? How do you desire to expect, desire expecting it to happen when you don't know what's going to happen? When life is so uncertain? Well, let's look at what the world and many times we as well sometimes hope for. And it, it, really when I look at that, it's kind of a funny question because it's kind of a broad question. Um, really, you could ask, you know, what do you hope for in a job? What do you hope for in a spouse? What do you hope for in life in general? You know, you, there's a lot of parameters you can put on that. In fact, when, when people, when you're talking to people and, and you hear some of the things they say about hope, how they use the word hope, you can kind of get an idea of, of what they're thinking of when they say hope or, or where their hope lies. For instance, if, if somebody has a loved one who is sick, um, if that person is, is getting worse and worse as the days go on, what do they say? Now we're losing hope. Or if that person starts to get better, kind of climbing out of their sickness, we say, man, it's looking hopeful. So where does their, what is a person like that, where does their hope lie? Well, they're hoping that if the other person gets better, they believe that that's going to make the situation better. If that person gets worse, the situation will get worse. And so in other words, their hope is in a good outcome. That's where their hope lies. Or say somebody is having a tough time in, in their marriage, with their kids, with work, whatever it might be, you might, you're going to have a good day and you're going to say, yeah, it's, there's hope. Or on a bad day, you're going to say, it's really feeling hopeless. So what is somebody like that hoping in? Well, their hope is in a, in a restored relationship with their child, a better family, their problems at work fixed, a restored marriage. So if things are kind of climbing in a, in a positive direction, their spirits climb and there's hope. Or if things decline, man, it's feeling hopeless. And so again, their hope is in the outcome of this situation. Which that kind of brings me to the point where I feel like I, I believe that it's important not just that we have hope, that we're hopeful people, or, or another way of putting it is, you know, people that just have faith. I don't believe it's just about having faith. It's, where does your faith lie? What are you hoping in? So, for those of you who have turned to Colossians chapter 1, we're going to be in verse 24. 24 through 27. And I want to address this idea of where our hope should lie. <clears throat> it says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. 
To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul starts out here, which is, I love how he starts out here. It's, it's pretty convicting. He starts talking about this message that he has to share. This message that we have, the gospel that we hold on to, Paul here says, is such a big deal that not only does he say, I will suffer for it, but he says, I'm excited if I get to suffer for it. He says, I rejoice. A lot of us are like, dude, Paul, what's up with that? That's, you rejoice in suffering? How can he even say that? So when I look at how Paul responded to the gospel, of his excitement of, of suffering for the gospel because of the magnitude that he knew was, was in the gospel, I have to ask myself and I have to ask us, do we truly value the gospel like Paul does, did? Do we respond the way that Paul does and say, man, I rejoice. I'll be so excited if I can suffer for the gospel. If we're honest with ourselves, I would have to say we don't. So many times I feel like we shy away from sharing our faith even when no suffering is involved or maybe very minimal suffering. I'm not pointing fingers here. Is, when, I, when I preach a sermon, it's all based on stuff that God's saying, hey, Craig, how about this? I say, well, I'll tell you guys too. And why don't we do this? Maybe I think, I think one reason, one reason we shy away from, from telling others about our faith is maybe because we're not totally convinced that we have something incredible to offer the world. I think Satan lies to us so much and tells us that people are happy the way they are. That we're kind of like maybe embarrassed about it. We shy away from it. I think one other reason might be because a lot of us, maybe we haven't experienced the, the power of God in our lives quite like he wants to show himself to us. Maybe we haven't opened up ourselves to that. To the power and the magnitude and the awesomeness of the gospel. Because you know what? Paul had experienced God's grace. Paul had literally been knocked off his horse, blinded by light. Paul had, had seen God in this, in this huge, amazing way. He had, he had seen the greatness of God's grace. And so no suffering could come in between that. No, no suffering could be too great because this gospel message was amazing. It blew his mind. And so he was glad if he could suffer, if it meant the gospel would go out to others. I think the key is this. Essentially, Paul had a hope that surpassed everything else in life. It surpassed all the sufferings, all the troubles, all the persecution, all of this over here, it was like, no, that's nothing. All the good stuff that could be in Paul's life, all the good things, the blessings, it was like, no, that's, that's nothing. It means nothing to me compared to the greatness of what God has done in my life. 
That's where Paul was at. Paul states in these verses what his hope was. It says that his hope was in the fact that Christ lived in him. This message, this gospel message, says that we can be united with Christ, children of God. That is our hope, the hope of glory. In comparison to that, everything else should seem worthless. And that's, I think, essentially what Paul was saying is he's like, really? I don't care about that. I don't care about that. Like, Christ lives in me. Christ lives in us. His hope was in Jesus. Is that what we're hoping in? Again, these things are convicting to me. Because if, if I'm honest, and I have to be honest with you, some of these things that we've gone through over the last three years, and even things that we're going through right now, I have to check myself and I have to ask myself, what am I hoping in? Where does my hope lie? Is my hope that the persecution where we work stops? Is that where my hope should lie? Is my hope that when we get back to our place of ministry that our house is still standing and we can go on with ministry? Is that where my hope should lie? Bringing it a little closer to home here, is our hope that the COVID vaccine works and COVID goes away? Is that where our hope should lie? Is our hope that our family will do better, that we'll be healthier, that our marriage will be doing better, that our job will do better, succeed, we won't lose it, whatever it may be. Is that where our hope should lie? I don't know if you noticed, but as I mentioned these things, they're not bad things. They're good things. Who, ought all, who, who all would like this COVID issue to be gone? We all would. Who, I, I honest, if I'm honest with you, I would probably prefer that my house doesn't get burnt down again. <laughs> Just to be honest. Do we want our, our family to be healthy, our marriage to be strong, our job to be secure? Do we want, yeah, we want those things. But I guess what I want to focus on today, what I ask you today is, is that where our ultimate hope should lie? Because you have no guarantee that you're going to have a job tomorrow. You don't have a guarantee if you're going to be alive tomorrow. You don't have a guarantee if your family members will be alive tomorrow. We have a guarantee of nothing. So should our hope lie in those things? All throughout the Bible, we see a hope that is different than anything that this world can offer. It's not a hope in stuff. It's not a hope in money. It's not a hope in health. It's not a hope in people. It's a hope that will never fade away, and that's what Paul is talking about when he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Our hope is in Jesus. Because if I'm honest with you guys, if we're honest with ourselves, this life is tough. 
There are a lot of disappointments in life. You will be disappointed in life. If, if you're over the age of one, you've probably been disappointed. No, it, you, we've all been disappointed. People will fail you. You're going to fail yourself. And if we are hoping in those things and in those people, man, that's not good. We're going to be disappointed. That's why the world has no hope. Because they keep hoping in things that will fail them. They keep grasping at these things, these, these shadows, thinking that they're going to find fulfillment in those things. They keep hoping, and they, and they hope, and they're desiring with expectation of it happening, and they get there, and it's gone. And they're left hopeless. But we have a hope that will never fail, that will never fade away, that is a sure foundation. Jesus Christ, our hope of glory. And when we trust in him and we hold firm to that hope of glory, when we hold firm to our hope, then, then life finally makes sense and we have no more problems. Somebody laughed a little bit. That was better than the other services. They didn't even laugh. I was like, you guys listening? I just lied. <laughs> That's not true, is it? That's the interesting thing with, uh, with, with hope. Life is tough, and we don't have that total fulfillment of all that we have, that all that we possess in Christ. One day we are going to get it. One day all sin is going to be done away with. One day our tears are going to be wiped away from our eyes. It's coming, but we don't have that yet. Romans 8.24 tells us, you don't hope for things you already have. You hope for what is to come. And that's where our hope should lie. Our hope is in Jesus, and our hope is in, in, in the fact that he is working in us, and he's working in the world. It says that uh, he, is going to, he is going to bring to completion the thing that he started in us. He has a plan, and he's, work, and he's working all these things out for the good of those who love him. He, he's promised to never leave us or forsake us, and, and he, we can hope in those things because we know him. We know who he is, and we know that we can trust him. We can have this hope because he has saved us, and he's made us his own, and we know this because he reminds us by the Spirit he's placed in us. It tells us that in Romans eight sixteen. For those of you who have trusted in Christ as your Savior, that's your hope. And it's a sure hope. It's an everlasting hope. It's not a hope that's going to fade away. It's not going to fade away. Because the hope is founded in Jesus. That's the key. It's founded in Jesus. That is our hope. And that is why we can continue on. That is why we can keep going when life gets tough. When our house is lost. When we lose our job. When persecution sets in. When we're battling illness. When our family is struggling. When we've lost our job, lost our friends, our marriage is struggling. Whatever it may be. That hope can carry us through. It does not make those things easy. It does not make those things fun. But it can carry you through. 
And the reason that it can carry you through is because we know the end of the story. We know how it all ends. We know that all, one day this pain will be over, the turmoil will be over, the hurts and wounds and the suffering are all going to be done away with. Yes, even as it says in Revelations, he is again, as I said before, he's going to wipe away all the tears from our eyes. It's not going to always be like this. We have a hope in heaven. Our hope, I would say, is kind of like a twofold hope. We have a hope in eternal life, in what God has stored up for us in heaven. We have that hope. But we have a hope because of Jesus for tomorrow. We have a hope because we can look back and we can see what he did yesterday. We can see how he, st he has started this work in us yesterday, how he made us a little bit more into his image yesterday, and we can have faith and we can be sure that he's going to do it tomorrow. And he's going to increase on it tomorrow. And he's going to make us more and more into his image tomorrow. We can believe that. We can hope in it because he has promised it. We know that he has seated us with Christ in the heavenlies that were indwelt by the Spirit of God. We've been adopted into his family. We're heirs of Christ, with Christ. We have this hope. So that's our hope. I want to bring this back around now. We're talking about missions. That's our hope, but what about the world? It says in Ephesians 2.12, speaking of people who don't know Christ as their Savior and actually speaking of us before we knew Christ as our Savior, it says this, you are living in this world without hope and without God. I remember... We worked for the, the people we worked with in Asia Pacific for six years, five and a half, six years before anybody came to know Christ. And I remember just the hopelessness, just the, the, the deadness in their eyes. Some of you guys have actually noticed that as you're looking at pictures from then and, and now, the difference. The deadness in their eyes, the hopelessness. The people around us here have that hopelessness in their eyes too. We're pretty good at covering it up here, right? We put on our makeup, we put on our masks. I mean, both kinds now. I'm more talking about like the smiling mask, but we cover it up, right? But it's still there. And you know it as you talk to your friends, your coworkers, you, you hear it in their voice. You hear it in their stories. You see it in their eyes. This hopelessness. In all reality, you know what? I'm not actually saying that they don't have hope. I guess what I'm really saying is they keep hoping in things that are not real and do not pay off. They keep grasping for those things, looking for those things that, are, that are, it's going to fulfill them. It's going to make them whole. And they keep grasping for these things and they get to the end and there's nothing there. And so at the end of the day, what does it leave them? It leaves them hopeless. I honestly can't believe, I, I don't know what it would be like. Can you guys imagine with the things that you guys are going through and you're all going through something? I don't know what it is, but you're all going through something. Can you imagine going through it without Christ to hold on to? That's where the world's at. And so that's where we come in. It says in Colossians that our hope of glory is in what Jesus has done for us. It's in Jesus. That's where our hope lies. In Hebrews 6.19, 
it says that this hope is like a firm and steady anchor for our souls. You picture like just this solid anchor that keeps the, the boat. Yeah, it, it sways around a little bit in the waves, but it keeps it steady there. It's a firm and steady anchor for our souls. In fact, it reaches behind the curtain into the most holy place. So here's a, there's a picture here of the blood of Jesus, just like in the Old Testament, like the blood of the lambs, the blood of Jesus taking us in to the very holy of holies, of allowing us to go into the presence of God. We don't deserve to go into the presence of God. In the Old Testament, they would be struck down if they went into the presence of God. But we have been ushered into the presence of God by the blood of Jesus. It's all about him. It's about what he's done, not you. You can't do anything to, to be ushered into the presence of God. No, it's all based on him. And because of what he's done, we can now go boldly before the throne of God. Like you think of the safety and the security that that brings. If you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, you are, you are in Christ. You are secure in Him. You can go boldly before the God of this universe. Can the world offer you that? Does money or power or entertainment, any, anything give you that? No. Only Jesus can do that, and that's what we have to offer the world. This message, this message of hope, we don't live in a very hopeful world, but we have a message of hope. The world is dying for this hope. So as this is Missions Month, I want us to, to be focused on that, to be realizing that, that this world, I live in a region of the world where I see people like this all the time, just living without hope, clinging to these things that never fulfill. I want you to keep remembering that there are people all over the world and, and, and don't forget them. God has a heart for the nations. I don't know how he wants you to get involved with, with global missions, but I think in some way all of us have a responsibility to do that. Whether it's praying or giving or going or, or supporting in some other way. I hope that God wells up in us a heart like his for the nations. But it's, it, it, sometimes it's kind of ironic because, you know, I'm, I'm a missionary. I'm a foreign missionary. And so you would think that would be my focus. But sometimes I feel like maybe because I, I work all the time over there and then I, and I see kind of the state of the church, the believers in America over here, my heart's for America too. Don't forget that God has a heart for the nations, which America is one of those nations. Don't forget that St. John's needs hope. Michigan needs hope. The U.S. needs hope. Don't forget about your neighbor, your, your classmate, your coworker, your friends, your family. Don't forget about the people that God has placed in your lives right now. Many of them are looking for hope in a very dark, hopeless world. They're looking for hope. Guess what? We know that hope. We have the message of hope. We have what they're looking for. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. I believe that as believers, if we are living by the power of the Holy Spirit, this hope 
is going to shine through us and people will be able to see this hope. They'll be able to say, man, there's something different about you. Your focus seems to be different. Your goals in life seem to be different. What is different about you? Well, let me tell you about it. I got this hope. And we can tell them about our, our faith, about our hope. Just to wrap this up, reflecting again on Colossians 1.27, it tells us that this message that we now hope in was a mystery for a long time. In fact, it was, it was kept secret for a long time. But now we have the message. We have the answer. And the answer, that message, is that Jesus Christ can live in us. And sometimes I feel like as, as believers in this modern day, we kind of forget what's being said there. I would, I would, love, to he- I would love to have heard this through the ears of a first century Jew or maybe even going farther back, you know, back to the, the Israelite nation. For them to really, for, to tell them, no, 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 the God of this universe. Yeah, yeah, the one that you guys saw, like he was in thunder and clouds and the earthquake and the voice, you know, coming out and like you guys were all terrified and you were hiding in your tents. And the guy that split, the, the God that split the Red Sea, the one that provided manna for you for 40 years in the desert. He, oh yeah, he destroyed that whole name. Like God, the one who created everything. Yeah, that God. He's going to come. And he's going to die for you. He's going to rise again. And then he wants to live in you. I would have liked to have heard that through their ears. They would have been like, no, 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 no way. That's what he's done. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the God of this universe who created it, uh, created it all has chosen to place his spirit within us. Who else can compare to a message of hope like that? If that doesn't give you hope, I'm going home. <laughs> Christ in us, the hope of glory. Are we convinced of this hope? Are we convinced of this message? Do we really believe it? If we do, then let's go out and let that hope of glory shine out to those around us. Let's take that message to the nations. Let's be ready to suffer for it. Jesus Christ in us, in you, the hope of glory. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, Lord, we stand in awe before you in your presence. I think a lot of times I don't even fully grasp the magnitude of the gospel, of what you have done. I think sometimes we hear it so much that we just kind of get inoculated to it. That idea of, of, of Christ in us, that your spirit lives within us, is just... And that's crazy. We don't deserve that. In fact, we deserve your wrath. And yet you have poured out your grace on us. You've poured out your spirit upon us. That is our hope. We have a sure and solid and firm hope. And it's in you. It's not in anything else. We know, we, we've all seen, that we cannot hope in, in things of this world 
There's nothing to cling to, Lord, but I pray that we would cling to you. That you would be our firm and sure hope. That you would be that anchor for our souls. And as we are firmly anchored in the hope that was found in Christ, I pray, Lord, that as people see that, that we would be more than ready to give an answer for that hope. I pray that our heart would go out to the nations for those people who, who haven't heard this message, who don't have that hope. Give us a heart like your heart. A heart for the world, a heart for the nations. I pray, Lord, that, that you would work in us today and that you would be glorified in our lives. In your name, amen.